We've come together this morning uh, in person and online to worship the Lord. Now, when we say we've gathered to worship, we want to be careful. Everything we do in life is supposed to be worship. Going to work, school, extracurricular activities, the food that we eat, the conversations that we have, the friendships that we enjoy, the entertainment we engage in, all of it is meant to bring God glory, that God is not just glorified when we do church, that God is glorified when we do life, when we enjoy life, when we live life with him at the center of it. And so everything we do is worship. Having said that, there is something special and unique about gathering together to worship the Lord as we're doing right now. That when we gather together, God is present in a special way. And that the worship we offer to God here and now is unique and a blessing and special. This is why we have fought so hard to stay open during COVID, although there are challenges. This is why I know that many of you who are here this morning have worked and labored to come be part of this gathered assembly. And I know there are many of you at home who even now are longing and fighting and working and waiting for the chance to gather together again so that we can praise the Lord together. And I am looking forward to the day in which we can all be together, worshiping God in this place. And that's because there's something special about it, that worship is the most important thing that we do as a church. It's not the only thing, but it is the most important thing that we do. And worship is the most important thing that we do as human beings. We were designed to worship. That the fullness of what it means to be rightly human comes in our proper engagement with God and that as we are worshiping the Lord, that's what we were designed to do. Now we think about worship Specifically this morning, we want to talk together about worshiping the Lord. And we worship the Lord as we gather together in lots of ways, but today primarily, we want to think about singing. Lots of different ways to worship the Lord, but singing, a special opportunity to offer to the, to the Lord songs, praises that are due his name. And what we're going to do is we're going to see a glimpse from Revelation 15 about how singing happens in the future so that today, as we gather together to sing, we might offer to God the worship that he desires and the worship that he deserves. So if you're not still in the book of Revelation, would you please turn to Revelation 15? It's page 1000 in the church Bibles. We're going to see a scene in Revelation 15, but to understand who's in the scene and what they're doing, we got to kind of understand what's going on in the book of Revelation at this moment. And we got to step back and talk about what's happening in Revelation 14 and Revelation 15, because these two chapters go together. So let me just very briefly put this chart up here that we've been using to lay out uh, what's coming in the future. And in that kind of big, darker box in the middle that's labeled second coming, you'll see that the first box or the first event is called the rapture. Now, I've said this before. Let me say it again. This is the piece of all of this stuff 
that we hold sort of most loosely to. And that's because there's the least amount of scriptural support for this event that we call the rapture. I'll explain what the rapture is in just a moment. And lots and lots of good Christians don't believe in a rapture, don't think it's going to happen this exact way. That's okay. But I'm just presenting to you what I think makes the most sense of what the Bible has to say and what our church believes. That event, the rapture, happens as the next major event. So from this moment on, the next major event is the rapture. And this is where Jesus returns uh, in the clouds and calls all people who are right now believers in Jesus. So if you have accepted Jesus as Lord, when Jesus comes at the rapture, you and I will be taken to be with him and the rest of what comes, we will spend with him. Wherever he goes, we go with him. Now, after that, there is a seven-year period on the earth of tribulation. At the very beginning of that, again, all of the Christians have gone with Jesus, but God still loves all the people of the earth. And even though he is displeased by the sin and the wickedness and the rebellion, his heart is such that he longs for every person to be saved, for every person to know and have eternal life. And so during that seven-year period called the tribulation, God does a number of things to continue to share the gospel with the people who are here. We talked about one in Revelation 11. He sends two prophets, two witnesses, whose job is to share the good news with the world. God also sends angels who proclaim the gospel. There are also signs and wonders. All of these plagues that are happening during the tribulation are not simply meant as punishment. They're meant to wake people up to the reality that God is God and for people to be saved and to know eternal life before it's too late. God also sends 144,000 Jewish believers in Jesus. Tom mentioned these in Revelation 7. They're also mentioned again in Revelation 14. And what these are is 12,000 people from the 12 tribes of Israel. So 12 times 12,000, 144,000. And these are Jewish believers in Jesus and they are a sign that God has not abandoned his promises to Abraham and Abraham's biological descendants. That in the end of time, as God is working out all of his promises to those of us who are Gentiles, God is also fulfilling all the things that he promised to Jews, those who are ethnic descendants of Abraham. And the 144,000 represent the fact that God is not done with those who are biological descendants of Abraham. Those 144,000 are also present on the earth. They are sealed, and I'll explain what that means in just a moment. They are sealed so that they can be witnesses for God on the earth. And the good news is, because of the two witnesses, because of the 144,000, because of the angelic testimony, because of the signs and wonders, Countless millions will become believers during this time. That God is not done saving people. This does raise the question, what will happen 
to those who become Christians during the tribulation. And here to understand what will happen to them, we need to understand what doesn't happen to the 144,000. I said that they were sealed by God. What that means is God places a special invisible mark on them. They are marked out and protected so they are not killed by the beast or the antichrist. That they are able to stay alive during the tribulation, not receive the mark of the beast and survive. But having said that, it tells us what happens to everybody else who's a Christian or becomes a Christian during that time. All of them are martyred. All of them are killed for their faith in Jesus. The 144,000 are the exception and they are sealed so it doesn't happen. But anybody who during the tribulation decides to follow Jesus will not get the mark of the beast and as a result, they will be killed for their faith. But they're believers in Jesus. So where do they go? To heaven. In Revelation 15, this is the group that we're looking at. So look at it with me. I saw in heaven, so John is viewing heaven, not earth, another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name, they held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. John sees a vision of heaven and in the midst of heaven there is a sea that looks like glass, the glassy sea. And around that sea he sees a great multitude gathered together. That's not you and I. We are in heaven at this moment because of the rapture, but we're not the group that's being talked about here. The group that is gathered around the glassy sea are all those who became Christians during the tribulation and were martyred as a result of it. This is why they are described as being victorious over the beast and the number of the beast, and there they stand, risen from the dead, in heaven. This group is singing. They're singing a song. And so what we want to do is look at this scene and I'd like to draw for us four principles about the musical worship or the singing that you and I offer to God today based on what we see in this passage coming in the future. The first principle is this. Worship, singing, embraces the old and at the same time encourages new expressions. Look with me at verse three, at the song that these martyred, resurrected believers are singing. And sang the song of God's servant, Moses. They are singing the song of Moses. Now what is the song of Moses? This is a reference to a passage of the Bible that comes very early on in salvation history. Exodus 15 
is entitled the Song of Moses. Now the amazing thing about Exodus 15 as the Song of Moses is that best we can tell, this is the first time in the Bible, Exodus 15, is the first time in the Bible where the Hebrew word for song is used, as well as the first time where the Hebrew word for sing is used. In other words, Exodus 15 is the first song we know of in salvation history. It's the first song recorded in the Bible, which means these believers are singing the oldest song known in salvation history. They are singing the first song that shows up in the Bible. What does that tell us? God loves old songs. God loves songs that have been around for a long, long time. God loves hymns. God loves people singing the Psalter. This morning, we sang Be Thou My Vision. You may not know this, but that song, the music and some of the words are approximately 1,400 years old. Isn't that amazing? Christians have been singing Be Thou My Vision for 1,400 years and God has not grown tired of it. The Song of Moses has been around for 4,000 years. He still loves it. He loves hearing it. And so we want to recognize that God has these martyrs singing the oldest song known to the people of God. With that, God also loves new songs. Revelation 5 they sang a new song. Revelation 14, and they sang a new song. Now the really interesting thing about Revelation 14, Revelation 14 and Revelation 15 are happening at the same time. One's happening in heaven and one's happening on earth. In heaven, they're singing an old, old song. On earth, they're singing a new song. The 144,000 Jewish believers are singing a new song because as wonderful as the song of Moses is, as wonderful as all 150 psalms are, as wonderful as the corpus of hymns in the Christian church is, you cannot exhaust the majesty and the glory of God with the songs that have been written so far. God is infinitely beautiful. He is infinitely glorious. There are always new things to say. There are always new things to sing. God is always doing new stuff. And so there's always room for new songs. We sang this morning, the battle belongs to the Lord. That's a new song. We haven't been singing that song in the church for 1,400 years. King of Kings is another new song. I think it was written in 2019. It contains old truth, but it's packaged in a new way. And God loves it when his people find new ways of singing praise to his name. Now, just to kind of round out and finish this first point, God also loves old songs sung in new ways. 
This is called the Song of Moses, and it's a reference to Exodus 15. But if you look at Exodus 15 and compare it to Revelation 15, you will find that the words are different. Why is it called the Song of Moses? Well, because it's the same theme, it's the same idea, it's just the words have been changed, situated differently to express the exact same idea in a different way. This morning we sang, Great is Thy Faithfulness, an old hymn, with a twist, a new bridge, new chorus that was part of it. Where did we get the idea to do that? From Revelation 15, that taking old expressions and freshening them up or changing them, that God loves that as well. So here we see the beauty of when we worship God, he loves singing, he loves old songs, he loves new songs, and he loves old songs made new. Second principle. We worship when we speak about the ways that God has helped us. Look at the song, the opening line, Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. That's how the song starts. God, you've done amazing things. Look how the song ends. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Exodus 15, Exodus 15, so the original song of Moses, is about a very specific event. It's not a general praise song. It's a specific event that... uh, causes that song to be sung. It's God rescuing the children of Israel from Egypt and taking them through the Red Sea. They get to the other side of the Red Sea. The Red Sea swallows up Pharaoh and his armies and the children of Israel cannot help except write a song to declare what God has done. And if you go read Exodus 15, the reason why the words are different here is because Exodus 15 is about chariots being thrown into the sea that God has hurled them into the water. They are singing about God's righteous acts. Notice here, what was once the song of Moses has now become the song of Moses and of the Lamb. The song of Moses, which is God rescued the children of Israel from death, is also the same song that God rescued Jesus from death. That's why it becomes the song of Moses and of the Lamb. Because God did not abandon Jesus to the grave and that when we as humanity put him to death, God raised him from the dead the same way he took the children of Israel through the Red Sea. And these martyrs are singing this song about their own experience, that God did not leave them in the grave, that God raised them from the dead. So too for you and I. We sing songs about what God does to help us. The proper response to God getting us out of a jam at work that only God could get us out of is to sing, to praise him. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord. When God helps us in a class at school that we were failing, that there was nobody who could help us with, we sing songs of praise. When the Lord shows up and rescues a family member that we have been heartbroken over, we sing Who is like you, Lord? You do amazing things. When God helps us financially when we're in great trouble, we sing praise to his name. When God guides us when we're confused, we praise him. This is what we do. To worship the Lord is to sing aloud, to declare, 
great and awesome are your deeds, Lord. Look what you have done. My heart rejoices at all the things you've done for me. Third principle. We worship God when we sing or speak about who God is, his character traits, his qualities that never change. In the song, after his marvelous deeds are proclaimed, it says, just and true are your ways, king of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name for you alone are holy. Now this is conjecture. I have no idea if this is the case or not. But I like to think these believers who get, who get saved in the tribulation, they're not Christians for 30 or 40 years. They have a very short amount of time that they are Christians. And I like to picture in my mind as they're, I don't know, wait, waiting in line to be martyred. That the, the, the beast or the antichrist has lined them all up to kill them. Whatever it may be, burning at the stake, being shot, electrocuted, whatever it may be. I like to think to myself, man, I've been a Christian a long time. I would be scared to death at that point. Think of just the, the difficulty of choosing Jesus over and against the whole world at that moment. And in my mind's eye, I like to think that this is the song they were singing at the moment of their death. And that somehow in the middle of the song, they closed their eyes and open them in heaven and finish singing the song. I don't have any idea if that's the case or not. I do know they'll be able to know this song. What I do think is more, less conjecture, is that at the moment death is coming for them in whatever form, I do believe that they will look up and see heaven open wide, just like Stephen did. And seated, standing, sorry, at the right hand of God, they'll see Jesus. And what I imagine will be going through their minds at that moment, they'll be singing the song of Moses. God didn't leave those Israelites dead in the Red Sea. And they will see Jesus in heaven and they will remember God did not abandon him to the grave. And the reason they'll be singing this song is not because circumstances are going well, but because God is faithful, that God is holy, and that sometimes we sing not because God has done great things for us, but simply because he is who he is. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. We worship God when we declare his character. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Whether he does anything for us today or not, he's good and he's just and he's kind. And whatever you're facing, even up to death, you can still sing praises in that moment because God is good all of the time. Because God is holy all of the time. God is loving 
all of the time. God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness all the time. And so we sing songs just simply saying, great is your faithfulness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Fourth principle. We worship God in hope. You might think martyrs in heaven in the future, there's no future they need to look forward to. But look at the next line in verse four. After they sing for you alone are holy, all nations will come and worship before you. Even in heaven, their eyes are on the future. There is a time coming when every knee will bow and every tongue confess, and they are worshiping in hope, in hope of the future. I love the song, I Can Only Imagine. I have a hard time hearing it sung and not having it bring tears to my eyes. It's a powerful song. I can only imagine, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? Just the thought of what it will be like to finally see Jesus. What it will be like for all of the exhaustion and the sin and the fighting for that to be done. To finally just, what will happen? It's such a powerful song because it puts your focus on the future. This is, we don't just worship God for what he's done in the past or who he is in the present. We also worship him for what's coming in the future. And the reason why we're going through the book of Revelation and the reason why we're studying all this stuff, it's not so that you're an expert in details and draw your own charts and know this plague and know that plague and 144,000 and do the math and two and four and eight and all. It's not that. It's because the future is one of the primary sources of our worship. That only with God is the future always better than the present. Now listen to me, for eternity. Can you imagine that? For all of eternity, it will get better and better and better. We worship God as we focus on the future. And so we worship in hope. A few closing thoughts for us as we think about singing, as we think about worshiping together. Again, worship is much broader than singing but it's certainly a key component. And that's my first thought. For those of you who are here, who are listening online, who may have more of my personality, who may resonate more with the preaching, the teaching, the words, the prayer, the testimonies, the speaking stuff. This passage is a helpful reminder. That's only part of the story. And let me say a special thank you to those of you who are part of Calvary Church for whom, for whom music means so much to you. Let me say thank you for playing your instruments. Do you see in verse three, they held harps 
Where did they get the harps? Given to them by God. God loves when people play instruments. For those of you who use your skills and abilities to help us sing. For those of you who love worship, who when you come here, you may not notice, but I'm noticing and I look around and I see on your faces that glow, that joy, that beauty. And I think to myself, I want that. And for those of us who maybe resonate more with the speaking stuff, thank you for reminding us that Jesus loves singing. He loves worship. There's no sermon in Revelation 15, but there is a song. I also want to say, uh, as we think about corporate worship, that oftentimes, and this is okay, we sing in faith. I find myself looking at the words on the screen and the songs and singing them, but just because that's the words on the screen. And I don't necessarily feel the holiness of God or the love of God or the majestic power of God at that moment. And you might hear Satan whispering in your ear, you hypocrite. Let me say something different. I think what you're doing and what I'm doing is we're just singing in faith that we might not feel right now that God's gonna take us safely through death to life, but guess what? It's still true. <laughs> and we may not know and feel that God is love at this moment, but it's still true. And when we gather together to sing, we don't always feel it, we don't always mean it, we don't always understand it. It's not set up that every Sunday at this moment everything clicks so you feel good about life and you worship the Lord and you praise him. So we just come Sunday after Sunday and oftentimes we're just simply singing in faith. We're like the man in Mark 9 who says, Lord, help my unbelief. I want to believe these songs. I want to believe that great is your faithfulness. I want to believe that tomorrow morning I'm going to see new mercies. That's okay. You just sing it. You sing it in faith. You actually sing it into reality. God, here I am declaring your praises. I don't feel them, but I want to believe them. And so if you find yourself on a Sunday morning, just singing the words and not feeling it in your heart, that's okay. Just realize you're singing in faith. And God loves faith. It's super pleasing to him. And then finally, let me close with this. If you're not yet a believer in Jesus, maybe a friend invited you here this morning. Maybe they invited you to tune in online. Maybe somebody's given you a song or something at work because you're going through something different and that song's about Jesus or feel strange or a worship song, let me encourage you this way. In Revelation 14, it says God shares the good news and one of the messengers who shares the good news that you can have salvation is an angel. And this is what the angel says. This is the good news. Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. You might wonder, well, how does somebody become a Christian? Becoming a Christian is not about checking a box or going to church or doing these things or all that. It's simply a person 
who worships God, who acknowledges that Jesus deserves worship. And if you've come here regularly, maybe for a few weeks, maybe you've been here, this is your first time, maybe you're tuning in for the first time and you're singing some of these songs or you're hearing these songs sung, this is one of the ways that God helps you come to faith. That as you and I worship, as we sing, we begin to understand it's true. It's true. And so let me just say to you, if you've not yet come to the point of acknowledging that Jesus is Lord, the songs that we sing, you can find them on YouTube, you can look them up, you can sing them again and again. They can help you begin to come to believe that these things are true. God loves worship. It's the most important thing that we do. We worship the Lord in lots of different ways. But central to the worship of the Lord is gathering together to sing his praises. God loves songs, old songs, new songs, and new songs made old. We worship the Lord by declaring the great things he's done in the past for us and for others. We worship the Lord by acknowledging in the present that God is faithful, that God is good, that God is holy, that God is love. And we worship with our eyes fixed on the future. Rescue, salvation, blessing, eternal life are coming for all who put their faith in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.